Hello, everybody, and welcome to North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me as always, I have Jer. Hello. Alex. Hey. And Ben. Hello. Yes, I am Wheeler. <laughs> a reminder, the North 100 is brought to you by you with your support <coughs> over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Let us start today with the opening segment. We always do the best card you're not playing. Up today, we have Jer. Jer, tell me your secrets. Alright, so this is a card, one of the spicier includes from my uh, Friday Night Paper Fight Bant Blink deck, but I think it has a wider array of applications after I've played with it some more. It's Bramble Sovereign. Oh, baby. Mm. So it's a, a dryad, it's a creature. Mm -hmm. It costs two green green, and you get a 4-4. Four, four. Not bad. And it reads, whenever another token creature enters the battlefield, non-token, you may pay one and a green. If you do, that creature's controller creates a token <coughs> copy... That's a copy of that creature. Uh -huh. So it works for both players. So if your opponent tries to cast Phage, you just win. Wait, okay, no. <laughs> um, He's not wrong. Uh, but but I imagine you're rarely, if ever, never using this to copy your opponent's creatures. Uh, you're just using it to copy your own. And I think that effect is is good enough in a mid-range creature deck when you start paying one in a green for Thrag Tusk or a second copy of Verderous Gear Hulk. Yeah. Or oh, a second oh, copy of Archon of Valor's Reach, right, and then you get to lock your opponent out of instants and sorceries. <laughs> There's a lot of really powerful <clears throat> things you can do in this goifs, with goifs, this card goifs, that goifs, I, goifs, 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 I got. Goifs. I, th I think it's at its best in the Blink deck, but yeah. the Blink deck is a pretty niche deck, and I think this card is good enough. Well, to you're see. trying to abuse it for the ETBs, right? Yeah, to mm. see uh, less less fringe play. I I think the fact that it's a four four, it stands up to removal really well. It's a reasonable thing to just tap out for on turn four against both control and aggressive strategies because yeah. it offers a reasonable clock by itself and your opponent. If it resolves against control and doesn't get removed, they need to counter every creature you play for the rest of the game. <laughs> uh, like letting it resolve and then removing <clears throat> your creature no longer works. Uh, force, really forces them to have a wrath. And against aggro, the 4-4 body is a really huge brick wall. And then it becomes much easier to stabilize when you can untap play a three drop. Like if you if you untap with this against aggro, then play kitchen finks, copy kitchen finks, aggro is literally never winning. Holy moly. Okay, that's rad. Cool. <laughs> yeah, here you get like life gain. Well, fantastic. Let us move on to today's theme. Today we're gonna do a rare two-part split episode. Help me out with some magic mechanics here. Fuse. We're doing a fuse. No, that would mean they could watch both at the same time. Meld. Meld. Nice. Meld. Nice. Beej with the beach with the magic mechanics in the background there. A very nice meld episode. On one half, we're going to do an event recap. So a couple weeks ago, as advertised, we had a Highlander Friday Night Paper Fight where the four of us battled to determine who was the superior host. Uh, and it was Jer. <laughs> I was going to say, as a as a heads up, there will be spoilers. <laughs> Whoops. So, if you don't want spoilers, too late. <laughs> but we're going to get in depth onto what we played and stuff like that. And then the second part of the episode, we're going to talk about incorrect assumptions. When you think your opponent's on something and you get got, or trying to pass that feeling onto your opponent. Uh, sort of like a higher level assumption where you know the meta and you know a deck really well, or at least you think you do, and that informs your play decisions, and oh boy, are you wrong. 
<laughs> can, I, can I steal some notes from OSW Review? Go for it. Mind games. Mind games, yeah. Uh, and to note, that's different from, say, um, metagaming, you know, uh, the slight tweaks to a deck. This is, we'll, we'll get more to that later. So let's talk about the event recap. Let's start off with what were we playing? Jer, what did you bring on the, the last Friday? Uh, I played a Bant Blank deck, so it's got no combos, just a really, really strong value oriented deck. It's got some engines, but just, just a really high synergy based deck that plays a lot of ETB creatures and flicker effects. It's very Sweet. cool. Uh, I brought Boros Aggro. Uh, I decided to set my fastball aside, play some creatures, and turn them sideways. Uh, not quite a Voltron style, so not too much equipment, just like the best equipment. Uh, not too low to the ground, not quite mid-range, just Boros Aggro with gear. And some Double Strike. Alex, what did you bring? Black Mold, because I had some new toys to play with. Like what? Uh, there's Pelt Collector. Ooh. Your boy. Mm -hmm. And some card called Assassin's Trophy. Ah, you mean destroy literally anything dot card. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Just give one of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, Ben, what did you bring? Uh, I made a huge mistake. I brought a deck that I called Hollow Tog, okay. uh, which has no real resemblance to any other worldly magic deck. <laughs> it was a four color, no white, self mill aggressive strategy <laughs> based on delve creatures. It was so cool in concept. Yeah, it looked, gr well, it didn't look great on paper. It looked <laughs> Disagree. It looked neat on paper. And in theory, it could have been very powerful. Yeah. Um, but in practice, it fell uh, short, so to speak. Uh-oh. And uh, a reminder that if you find the Loading Ready Live replay of that episode, you'll find all the deck lists down there. We'll make sure to include a link to that VOD down below, rather than, you know, just cross-posting everything there. Uh, let's talk about round one. Round one was Jer versus Ben. Gentlemen, give a little recap on what happened there. So you know how there's that square on a Monopoly board that says, go to jail? <laughs> uh, my creatures landed on that board, I believe, six or seven yeah. times. So that was off the back of uh, Palace Jailer. So Palace oh, Jailer wow. is a four-mana white creature for two white-white. It's a 2-2. Two -two. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, it says exile target creature an opponent controls, or is it symmetrical? Can you target your own stuff? Uh, it's opponent controls. I think it's opponent uh, controls. Uh, exile target creature an opponent controls for as long as you're the monarch, and then you become the monarch. This is palace jailer. Mm -hmm. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's a 2-2. Two -two. It's a human... Jailer. <laughs> human soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Arguably yeah. the best uncommon... In white, in maybe. Well, I mean, swords well, have shares. Path, exactly. uh, okay, fine. So as as Joe was saying, his okay. deck is is a flicker deck. So how are you able to make a palace jailer, which you only had one copy, yep. uh, exile six creatures? Well, I was able to utilize flicker effects in my deck. So I think I cast uh, eerie interlude. I cast both halves of momentary blink. Yeah. I cast restoration angel. Uh, I think there might have been a Flicker Wisp. Yeah. Holy Sounds about right. I can't remember exactly, I, but... I blacked out <laughs> in that matchup. So did your creatures. Yeah, well... <laughs> see, my, wow. I think my deck attacks decently. Like, my creatures have Trample or They're really haste. big. They're very big. Yeah. And in fact, I have cards in my deck like uh, Anger that allows to give all my creatures haste. Even with all that, 
I was not able to reclaim the monarch at any point in time, and that jail stack just kept getting higher and higher. Yeah. Homie was earning his bonus. Yeah. All right, round two was myself versus Alex in the Agro Mirror. Grr. That classic matchup of Boros v. Golgari on the ground. How'd that go? Didn't I choke on mana? You definitely had some mana issues. Uh, we also, I also got to experience the joy, which is the mentor mechanic and that new... Oh, what's that one one for... A Swift Blade Vindicator. And Swiftwood Vindicator, you know, keyword.card. So I got it up to a 3-3 three, three yeah, with was... Vigilance, Trample, and Double Strike. He was way better than I was expecting. I... yeah. Like, he... even with no pump, that card was a pain. Yeah. It just presents such a huge threat. Yeah. Yeah, just like... Oh, it's just a 1-1. No, it's not a 1-1. One, one. It's a big pain in, it's a trap. in your butt. I really wanted to... I really wanted to give that card Jite. Uh, no! <laughs> You're Fair. not allowed. Uh, then we went on to the not winner's bracket, and we had Alex v. Ben. Gentlemen? Uh, I was consumed by the greed Ooh. of possibly having a Psychotog plus Berserk line. <laughs> oh, that, that would have been sick. <laughs> it, it, it worked out in my head, but your combination of Vengevine plus creatures plus creature kill and discard uh, put me in a bit of an awkward spot. And uh, I die. you love having cards in your bin. I do like having cards in my graveyard, but I like it when it's on my terms. You had a really interesting play, or really interesting decision to make. You had resolved Psychotog, uh, mm -hmm. which is one of the key one of the key creatures in your Hollow Tog deck. Yeah. Um, and I believe Alex went to dismember it. Yeah. And and and. Oh right. I know. I'm sitting there, and I'm being like. Are you going to try and save this creature? You had a couple cards in hand. You had a couple of cards in your graveyard. Uh, Dismember notably is not destroy target creature. It's give it minus five, minus five. Why did you not save the Atog there? Uh, it would require me to eat up a whole bunch of resources because if I exile cards from, I mean, obviously discarding cards from your hand, you're, that's down cards. Uh, and then the deck uses the graveyard as a resource for power uh, boosting effects like with Enigma Drake or the new card from Guilds of Ravnica, Crackling Drake, although that one doesn't care about exile as much. Mm. Yeah. Um, or mana for delve creatures. And so I had additional threats in hand and while it would have been, you know, a cheeky little Psychotog kill, uh, at the time it felt like too much, too many resources would have been put into saving my creature sure. when I just had other threats. Yeah, well, well, I there's also do... the value, it, like, once you've already, like, expended all those resources on keeping Psychotog alive, its value of being in play is just also sure. way yeah. lower. It's certainly less threatening. I think that was, I mean, that definitely came up where I would have fallen short of uh, lethal berserk damage. After that exile, it would yeah. have required a couple of uh, spicy draws to get me out. Uh, and then finally, uh, the winner's bracket was myself versus Jer. Jer, how do you remember this one going down? Uh, we traded off resources early. I was playing a bunch of walls that either drew me cards or threatened to make mana. Yeah. And I, I kept to... blocking. You kept expending resources. I had to use pump spells to try and get through your walls. And then I played Thrag Tusk. <laughs> oh, right. Right. <laughs> there was the game where Surge had Leonin Arbiter, a hate bear that is symmetrical, <laughs> and Spirit of the Labyrinth, a hate bear that was symmetrical. And, uh... It didn't oh, work out well I forgot. For oh, I forgot. <laughs> so... 
Elfin yeah. doing click is powerful with your opponent's uh, Spirit of the Labyrinth. I had Spirit of the Labyrinth in play, and you just kept flickering uh, 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 Vendillion Cleek, and I just kept losing cards. <laughs> oh, I forgot how much that hurt. I forgot how much that hurt. Anytime somebody gets ranched by their own Spirit of the Labyrinth, <laughs> an angel gets its wings. It's, it's, oh, it's beautiful. Ben I think cries. You mean petard. Ben oh, cries te yeah, tears of joy. Yeah, oh. I, I felt, yeah, as the aggro deck, I wasn't able to put enough pressure on Jer. Um, and then as soon as Jer started getting card advantage, which happened fairly early, every time I had to expend an extra card to take one of his, there's just no coming back because he wasn't close enough to dead. Uh, and that's a question I have. Uh, I'm going to have to revisit this list. I don't know. I don't know if I need to make it faster or or more mid-rangey. Like, which direction to go? I'm not a very experienced aggro player, so it's always interesting to see how to shift that. We have a bunch of new tools to play with Boros, and, I mean, it's definitely the time to tinker yeah. with that deck again yeah, and see yeah, yeah. if it works. Um, and I think that the, the wisdom is to not try and make it... Uh, a mono red deck or a yeah. white weenie deck because that's always the problem that we've said is plagued with Boros. Why not Boros. just yeah? Because like it's like oh we'll put all the best cards from both decks and it'll become worse than both <laughs> somehow. Than Heiser, yeah. Maybe it needs to be a third archetype. You, you got to take advantage when you're <clears throat> playing a deck like that that has such a when the, the the first thought that you have when you build like a boros deck is like oh red and white these are aggressive things i should just be something that's blindly aggressive you have to ask why am i building it boros as opposed to something like mono white or mono red yeah so you want to capitalize on the best parts of those colors uh which is probably where having more disruption from the twos and threes that <laughs> Uh, red gives you like Magus of the Moon or um, yeah, yeah, like I want rampaging for us. Yeah, I oh, try... I wasn't playing that. But why? Why didn't I? Because I'm not an experienced aggro player. I if I would have I... hosed you with that card. If I played rampaging Frosted on against the life gain <laughs> blink deck. Yeah. So if I, this, I assumed it was in your deck. This does remind no. me that like the next if if I ever get around to sleeving this deck up, I did want to try Boros Hate Bears. That's kind of what I was going. In this kind of style. Yeah, I sent this for your approval, and nobody. <clears throat> well, I mean, we are in direct competition with each other. <laughs> I, I feel betrayed. Whoops. Well, that's the thing when you send somebody a list, it's it's like really easy to say this card doesn't belong, but it's really hard to say you're missing this sure. exact one card. Unless Rampaging it's like GTA. So for those of you who don't know what Rampaging Frostodon, three <laughs> mana, three, three dinosaur for two and a red. It has menace. It also Wait, says... Menace. Menace. Players can't gain life. But wait, there's more. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield, Rampaging Frostodon deals one damage to that creature's controller. This would have been so good against you. Yeah, banned in standard. Yep. Oh, I'm so angry with myself for forgetting about this. All you right. What else would be good? Yo. Containment priest. Does that work? Yeah. It's Whoop. real good against the flicker effect. Which one's containment priest? I had containment priest. I think I even resolved it against you, didn't you I? You did. did. But it was too late at that point. Yes. Yeah, that's too bad. All right, Jer, any final thoughts as the as the current reigning North 100 champion? Uh it feels great. I'd like to thank uh, everyone. Oh, damn it! Um, <laughs> uh, no, the the deck went went really well. It I went think really I, well. I drew above average during that tournament, but I actually think it's a reasonable deck to play. I think, like I've I've been playing the deck a bunch on Magic Online, Mitgo, and 
I've been I have definitely have a positive win rate against the people I've played played on there, and people underestimate the value that you can start accruing. Like, I've won so many games being down under five life, and then the next turn I'm at eighteen plus just because <laughs> I take that one turn to like put the engine in play, then they attack me but not quite kill me. Then like, the engines online, and I'm, the engines online, and I'm never losing. And they're like, "Haha, I'm almost one," and but they just don't don't realize what I've been setting up. <sighs> I'm just I'm just having flashbacks now from well, yeah, and you, you were the, tusk for days. You're the same way. You were convinced. You're like, "No, no, if I put on enough pressure, I just won't let you set up the engine." Hmm. But the rest, the value creatures are just so good at stymieing aggro. Like you're just playing Kitchen Finks, Reflector Mage, Wall of Blossoms, Wall of Omens. Ball of Roots, like all these cards that are just Jeez. great yeah. at, at stifling aggressive draws already. What what do you think what do you think hoses your deck? Combo and control, maybe? Definitely linear linear decks that have a more powerful game plan because there's no combo aspect to this deck. It's not gonna win terribly quickly. Okay. So I've played this deck a couple times in local tournaments and the matchups that I really struggled with uh, were Hoof, which is just a more powerful sure. linear deck. Hmm. Like they're not interacting with me. I'm barely they don't care about your walls in the early game. Yeah, it's gonna combo. I'm barely interacting with them. But on like turn five, they're just gonna hoof and attack me for eighty. Okay, and then I can't gain enough life or put <laughs> enough toughness in play to stop that happening. Sure. And uh, any linear combo deck that isn't based around artifacts or enchantments, I can deal with artifacts and enchantments pretty darn well. <laughs> uh, Poor Ben. Yeah, just like how many how many Night of Autumns does it take before Ben just cries? But but decks, <laughs> decks like High Tide or Storm, or like a Show and Tell deck, I'm pretty much not interacting. I, like Vendillion Click is basically my only way to interact with hmm. with anybody's hand or Vents. I have Venser to interact right. with spells in the stack. Right. That's that's pretty thin, yeah. honestly. So Neat. those decks are definitely poor matchups. All right, and a reminder uh, that you can find the replay for that over at the live channel, uh, YouTube slash Loading Ready Live. We'll put the link down below. We won't, we won't make you hunt for it too far. All right, let's move on to part two of our episode, something that we have labeled incorrect assumptions. Now, this is basically when you get got. Uh, and it, it's kind of hard to describe. I'll start using words and then feel free to jump in where you're sitting down across from your opponent and you know what deck they're on and your assumptions about the cards in their deck inform the lines that you make. Um, so, for example, uh, you wouldn't expect the mono red deck to have life gain. It just as a very a very high example there, so you're never going to play around that. You're going to assume the damage that you have represented on the board is not going to catch you or something like that. This is very different between uh, a metagame thing. So, for example, if you're playing against if you're playing against a mono white deck and they put in a pro red creature, that's you'd expect to see that type of hate bear, that type of slight shift in there, mm -hmm. depending on the metagame. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't expect a card completely <clears throat> out of outfield. And to start, let's give an example by when Ben got got when playing against Pat Pod. I think this will really illustrate what we're trying to talk about here. Yeah, one of, one of the ways that um, when we initially started brainstorming this idea and that I've spoken about this event uh, to many a player that wants to hear how badly I got ranched uh, <laughs> it was real bad. In, in this top four is it's subverting the expectations that you have um, with, I mean, this can be archetype specific, uh, matchup specific, but I was against a, 
a, a pod deck, a four-color pod deck. And this is a deck that I've played against hundreds and hundreds of times. Well, and, well, and Pat Pod, you've yeah. played it. And I've, I've played it quite a lot. It's one of, you know, it's not in my immediate wheelhouse, but it's in kind of the that secondary ring. So I have an idea of what I, to expect, um, even on the tournament when I was against uh, Jeremy, I, you know, thinking about all the different pod lines that he had available. And so that's kind of what's going through my head in this matchup. Uh, I'm playing a Jeskai control deck, and I feel like we played this War of Attrition to the point where I'm able to stabilize. I'm able to set up a turn where I get to drop a Consecrated Sphinx I get a minimum of two extra cards from their draw step, yep. and I've exhausted them on most of their removal, or at least the removal that that deck plays. When, and Consecrated Sphinx dodges <coughs> basically all of the traditional removal in that deck except Palace Jailer. Right. The other removal they have is sometimes Slam Tongue Cavu, sometimes Fire Imp. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and my opponent only had, I think, a Tundra available. So yes. I slam this Consecrated Sphinx, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Because even if this gets dealt with, they're using resources to deal with it, and I'm up cards. And... Well, notably, your opponent doesn't hasn't made a lot of headway. They have some, like, Dirtle creatures, but none of them are threatening combo. They don't have pot in play. They don't have survival in play. Mm -hmm. They're a little choked on mana, but and, and they have some cards in hand, but... You're not expecting to get combo killed. I feel I feel safe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because of the assumptions you have of the right. stack. Yeah, I I assume that I know all the possible lines or you know lines beyond like what is considered stock, and then my opponent plays the swords to plowshares, and the the Canadians that were behind Ben just like put our hands in our heads and we're like, oh my god, he's playing swords. Swords to plowshares is an extremely powerful card. Yep, it's. A card that has not, at least to the life of me, ever really appeared in these pod decks because they're so based around having this density of creatures and then topping out at tutors, combo pieces, or planeswalkers to facilitate your tutors, combo pieces. Mm -hmm. well, um, it, well, it's interesting because the original versions had both swords and path and like ponder, preordain, brainstorm, just like the the good cards you put into any Highlander deck, right. but as the deck grew, it began to eschew these cards for cards that just fit into the game plan. The, so creatures with similar. The last similar time effects. a pod deck had cast something along the lines of Swords to Plowshares against me was in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Really? So it had huh. been kind of wiped from my slate, and my ears like started ringing. I blacked out. <laughs> like it was just like so like oh my I got got. And and Ben went from. Like, as soon as Ben played Consecrated Sphinx, I was like, all right, he's won. And then it got Swords, and I'm like, all right, he can't ever win. <laughs> yeah. and, and maybe I didn't have, in that immediate moment or that turn, I didn't have any other options, and I should Not have really. played out the Sphinx. But if I... It still goes to show that I could have piloted the previous turns differently with the knowledge that my opponent would have access to these cards. Yeah. And I would have used my... You know, I would have traded differently. I would have deployed my threats in a different um, way. And it just... It's stuff like that where um, it was, it's such a heads-up inclusion, right, that could be, I mean, it could be included for a variety of reasons. The card is incredibly powerful, so why not play it? 
Uh, or maybe that community is like in the beginning of their life cycle with that pod archetype. Yeah. When they're playing these cards and we just come full circle. Well, I love it. They look at this list and they're like, what's wrong with these Victorians? Why aren't they playing the best white removal spell ever printed? You know, what do they what do they know that we don't? Yeah. So it's it's instances like this that definitely get me thinking more and more. And have actually it's caught on locally with uh, recent Victoria, a recent pod list played in Victoria running both Swords and Path. Interesting. Yeah. It's come full circle. Oh, yeah. Uh, now that's interesting. I want to talk really quickly about playing around a card. Uh, and, 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 and that's, I think, where a lot of this discussion comes from, is you can play around the threats that you know your deck has. Uh, I love the example of playing around Stifle. You know, uh, you think your opponent has it, and it'll influence when you crack a fetch land, when you activate certain abilities, especially in the early game. Uh, it never feels good uh, to get stifled. And so, I, like, the, the classic example of that is you're playing against a blue player. They play first. They play a fetch land. Your turn, you play a fetch land. On your end step, they crack their fetch land. And so the correct response to play around stifles, you crack yours in response so they can't stifle you. Uh, and that's just on the threat of them having that card in their hand. But when a deck that isn't supposed to play that, or they might, or you know, they're running a Shadow of the Doubt effect or something like that, the, all the all the thoughts going in your head is where is where this conversation comes from. Can you imagine if High Tide stifled you turn one? Well, I mean, it's funny you mentioned not not for High Tide directly, but something very similar because Stifle is traditionally seen as a it's a tempo card. It's very yeah. classic. Tempo in uh, the Delver decks. Y yeah, uh, Delver decks throughout Legacy, yeah. um, old extended decks, vintage, whatever it may be, um, and it's not something that you would typically dedicate a card slot in for a traditional control deck. But I, it to the best of my knowledge, Blue Moon, one of the dominant control decks in our format, still plays Stifle. Does it in its arsenal? Yeah, yeah. Really? and very early on to that deck's uh, rise in the format, people were uh, getting got by oh. Stifle. I did not know that. I used to play it in Oath of Druid's Control, because I didn't play it to get people's fetch lands, and people definitely didn't expect it, but the its situation came up, and it was largely because they didn't... I. Like, the situations came up because they didn't play around me having it, but huh. it, it was included in the deck because one of the creature deck's best ways to remove Oath of Druids was to hit it with Reclamation Sage. But if if I had Stifle in my hand, I could let Reclamation Sage resolve Stifle the trigger and then Oath was online. Because often the, if you have Oath in play, if you have Oath in play, the creature decks won't be a creature. They'll just sit there playing Drago, which is ideal for you anyways, because you're the control deck, eventually you'll find Forbidden Orchard and then they have creatures. Um, so they'll try to find Reclamation Sage. And if you're able to stifle their Reclamation Sage, you just win the game. To to tie this into the, the topic of subverting, yeah. uh, to, to catching people off guard with this too, is we have seen two mono-blue stifle effects printed in the past couple of years that are, I mean, they become format staples. Uh, disallow yep. being both a, a counterspell so and go through, go through all the disallow. Yeah, disallow is one blue-blue, Instant, you counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. Card's very good. So it's uh, like counter spell or stifle split card, right. basically. 
Um, and then Nimble Obstructionist yeah. <laughs> being another big one. Uh, two and a blue for a three-one flying bird wizard question mark. Oh, yeah. bird uh, wizard. That has cycling for two and a blue. That says when you cycle Nimble Obstructionist, you counter target activated or triggered ability you don't control. So people have the idea that stifles are in this format, but they it's all around threes. Yeah. So if you, I know as a combo player, if my like sometimes if my blue opponent they haven't been countering certain things or whatnot. You just get that gut feeling that there's a bird waiting to, you know, <laughs> c counter some memory jar trigger or something like or, that. Or you know, or they click you or something like that. Exactly. Against, against sort of like yeah. the blue flash deck now. There's so many effects. Ah. So you cement it in your head that if they have three up and they're in that play pattern that they'll have a stifle. Uh, and then if they tap lower, you kind of convince yourself that, oh, well, all I have to worry about would be something like spell snare or spell pierce, cheap counter spells, one mana counter spells, and then you get stifled, and it feels awful. <laughs> but it's uh, that's what happens when you get con you get conditioned to play around these very specific mana costs for effects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is what is the lesson that can be learned here? Because obviously, one of the things that you want to do. Uh, that that helps a lot as a Magic player is to be familiar with your matchup, to practice it a lot, to know what your game plan is to win, to know what your opponent's game plan is to win, and obviously to either do yours faster or disrupt theirs. When this element is introduced, how do you adjust? Well, this element is just confirmation bias. Uh-oh. You're, you're using your your <laughs> bias to confirm what what your opponent has without actually knowing what they have. And so... It, it has like pros and cons, as you mentioned, because like if it enables you to play, or if if they're playing the exact list you think they are, like Ben and I do this all the time, just because we've played so much Highlander, that we'll assume they're playing something at least very close to this list that we've played or we know of a winning list, and most of the time that's true. Yeah. But sometimes we'll get our consecrated things. Blow up. I got uh, I got got once. Uh, uh, this is when Ben was on a tear with uh, Jeskai mid range, mm. and I sat down across somebody and I saw the first three or four lands that they were playing. I was like, "All right, they're on Jeskai mid range. You know, the the deck is shaping up to be like that. All right, I'm going to I need to be aggressive. I'm going to overextend a little bit so that I can punch through some damage." And they're like, "Supreme verdict." I'm just like. But pardon? What? Well, yeah. Why is this mid-range deck playing Wrath? <laughs> I just got got so hard. I, I think Supreme Verdict resonates uh, in a mid-range strategy <laughs> with uh, somebody sitting at this table here. Yeah. So one of one of the classic archetypes I've played, or I haven't played that much recently, but I'm I'm known for playing years ago, is band mid-range or band control. Okay. And I've got people with this curve so many times. Uh, Back then, it was simpler times. There's many, many fewer combo decks. <laughs> uh, most people were just battling out with creatures, and so the the advantage Bant gave you is that in the control matchups, you got the green threats, which were very good. Yep. And you got Back in simpler times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it wasn't even that long. You had to ago. walk ten miles. Uh, so the the curve is you play Voice of Resurgence, which is a a good aggressive mid-rangey card. Yep. Uh, very good against control, good against aggro. 
Uh, locks it on Smiter, which is another mid-rangey card, good against control, good against aggro. And then, so your opponent would be matching with their yeah, two, yeah, their yeah. three, their four, and then you play Supreme Verdict. <laughs> and you just wrath everything away, and then you're just set up to play the long game. You have you have tons of sixes in your deck, tons of fives in your deck. Where is the wisdom in wrathing your own board? Like that that's a common idea that if you're the aggro or the creature deck, you don't wrath your own board. Well the thing is, if if you're playing voice and locks on smiter, they have to commit to the board to answer or at least keep your threats at bay. And both these creatures are very good at attacking or being annoying while they're in play. Like, Loxon Smiter is always getting in play and then is a 4-4-3 mana, so it, it chances are it gets to attack through whatever your opponent plays. Also, not to put too fine a point on it, but a voice comes back. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing, is after you Wrath, you still get the voice token, so you're rebuilding from something, whereas they're ideally rebuilding from nothing. This, this kind of line is reached almost meme status locally. <laughs> and while it's not always immediate two, three, four for the Wrath, uh, that play has happened. You, uh, for yeah. certain. The other thing the other thing you can do is just play voice on two, locks it on smiter on three, then look like you're holding up a counter spell for a couple turns. Mm -hmm. They keep committing to the board because they're like, alright, went turn two voice or resurgence, turn three locks it on smiter. The last thing they're expecting is Supreme Verdict. So you're you're sort of inducing your opponent into making incorrect assumptions about your deck list. Huh. And that by playing those two cards, they're then the thought of any wrath effect is out of their mind. Yeah. Or like they, at least they, symmetrical wrath effect. They fell for the bait, but it was the wrong bait. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, this is... Uh, another, really, oh, go ahead, yeah. another really classic example is the storm strategies, is when people really started gunning for them, or when they started experimenting with different cards, like the disruption you expect from storm decks traditionally is silence effects. Yep. So yeah. things that stop you playing things on your turn. You resolve and, silence and then, and then you win. Sort of defense grid and city of solitude accomplish the same things. Yep. And then uh, hand attack, so thought seize, duress, inquisition of Kozilek, those types of things. Uh, but when mana drain was zero, some of the storm decks started playing mana drain. Woof. And the the worst feeling in the world was when you were a proactive deck, especially a blue deck, where you didn't have to tap out, but you had to get a threat in play at some point. And so you're like, all right, I'll tap out on turn three for my Brimaz, then never tap out again, Brimaz will kill him. Uh, then they mana, drain, again. they mana drain your Brimaz, then cast Behold the Beyond, and you're dead. Oh. <laughs> that's, so, that's just good magic. Uh, just, to, just, to, just to take a step back as to why the Storm deck why the combo deck plays that way, uh, the effects hand attack lets you see if your opponent is shields down. So if they hand attack you and you're the control deck, they can see if you have any type of disruption so they can kill you that turn because they're all in. The silence effect, um, uh, the one mana instant, you can't play spells or abilities, you just shut them off that turn. You're like, cool, if this resolves, you can't win. Um, are, are those sort of effects that they're, they're proactive? It's the combo player saying, are you dead? And then they look at your hand and they either say, yes, you're dead, or they say, I'll keep waiting. Yeah. So for there to be a reactive <clears throat> answer is is very, very bizarre. And I think that's, is that a good way to sort of analyze that? Well, the combo player is typically the one that is setting up the tempo of the match. Yeah. Right? At Playing, least against control decks. Yeah. They, by 
they want to try and kill them on... The combo player is trying to kill your opponent, the control opponent, on their own terms. And by having, like you said, the proactive thought seizes, uh, silences, yeah. they're able to set that up. And when, again, like in the days of Drain at Zero, and even now with Bound... Uh, bound Determined. <laughs> bound Determined. Um, bound being the... Or is it Determined? Yeah, can you tell, de talk about the determined. terms? So one, one of the sides of this split card. There we go. Oh, I thought we wouldn't have to crane our this necks. This isn't even a new card. This is from Guilds. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, it's from Dissension. It's part of me. So Determined uh, is a green and a blue side of a split card. It says other spells you control can't be countered by spells or abilities this turn and you draw a card. Ooh. So this is something that more recent storm builds have added into their disruption I suite. I not this. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It's the, sort of like another silence type effect. Where totally. It's, it's very similar to Autumn's Veil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How This card has been out for years. Oh, I was playing this bad boy in like heartbeat combo in like 2008, 2009. Is uh, it because of the colors? Like the, the green splash? Well, I mean... It's also just two mana. You draw a card. You can just cycle it in matches where the other text on that is irrelevant. Hmm. Which is quite nice. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. and, and another thing the Storm decks used to do uh, after mana, like even after mana drain got pointed, was they started playing alternate win conditions. Ah. And so... <laughs> People would be set up to beat them on like the tendrils aspect. They'd yep. like set up counter rituals, counter the tutor, but they started playing Oriok Salvagers with go Lotus and Man. yeah, go go Bomberman Bomb style with Man. Lotus and a and a spell bomb. Pyrite spell bomb, and then oh. uh, for a while the Storm decks also started playing Empty the Warrens, where holy moly. One thing about the Highlander Storm decks is the Storm decks rarely have their payload in their hand. That's actively not where they want it because it doesn't work with the traditional Line. best yeah. storm lines. Like yeah. it disables Lion's Eye Diamond. Uh, yeah. It makes Yogmoth's Will much worse. It makes Behold the Beyond uncastable, largely. Um, so it makes many of their engine cards much much worse if they have their Tendrils of Agony in their hand. Uh, whereas Empty the Warrens gives them access to just storm from their hand, which is an access that the Highlander storm builds basically don't have access to a large mm. portion of the time. Like, Is there also not situations where you don't have to cast it for lethal? Yeah. You well, just get inevitability? I, that's <laughs> the other thing, is that the storm deck is a turn three or four deck, whereas it makes it much much more possible to turn one or two, cast Empty the Warrens for... Eight six, co yeah. six copies, I, uh, and that's probably good enough. Yeah, there's. it's kind of a joke of the short drills, where you just, like, tendrils them for six or eight life, mostly to survive. Rarely is it good. But, like, the short empty, where you just make eight goblin tokens, uh, ten goblins, four, uh, six, whatever, like, in that area is... I mean, sometimes it gives you enough pressure that yeah. your opponents have to dedicate resources to dealing with that while you set up to kill them in another way. And sometimes you don't even need to kill them in another well, way. And lots of times people will know you're on Storm and they'll keep very polarizing hands against you because of the deck choice they know you're on. So they're way less likely to keep things like Wrath of God in their hand because <laughs> normally that card is stone good. useless. Yeah, uh, They'll be way less likely to keep any any sort of removal, uh, like, so 
they're just less likely to have the tools to deal with empty the wounds, especially if, once it resolves. So that's that's interesting. That's another assumption coming from a Highlander player, because if you're a Legacy player, you know Empty the Warrens is in a lot of those legacy storm lists, right? Yeah, like that's, even sometimes main deck. Yeah, so that's that's something that's a, that's some of the bias coming from us to think that oh, of course the storm deck isn't going to play Empty the Warrens. You know exactly, and that's sort of sorry, Alex. This is this is why one of this is one of the most interesting topics to me, is because it can get the most like the more enfranchised you are, the more susceptible you are to this, <laughs> like. The, the reason Ben got got so badly by that Swords to Plowshares is because of how well he knows that deck and that archetype. And as he said, he's been playing against it probably more than 100 times in the past six years, and not once has he played against that. So he's relying on his experience in that matchup to know how he should play and how how like what his game plan should be and the addition of that one card just completely sewered his just game plan. You're gonna, you're gonna say Alex. I was gonna say what this sort of sounds like when you're talking about legacies that like sometimes it's a prediction it's like what archetype are they on uh in highlander a lot of the decks are sometimes like mashups of several adjacent archetypes and you're like which ones are in here and which versions of which one are in here yeah what what version of of graveyard creature combo are you on yeah you know are if you're the if you're the the hermit druid deck do i have to worry about um Killing one creature, your uh, your laboratory maniac, or is it a different that's, one? I mean, maybe that's part of why I wanted to build a fair hermit, because <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's like some sort of rock humans deck. Wait, what? Well, e even more fair decks like the tempo decks in our format, legacy, right? The the legacy tempo decks play twelve to sixteen creatures in them, and four of those are most likely Delver of Secrets. Yeah. But in this, in our format. The, a lot of the threats are, you know, not coming down on turn one. They're, in fact, two drops. And they're old, traditional miracle grow creatures, mm -hmm. like uh, Quirion Dryad or Deep Root Champion. Champion. Or There's Deep Root Elite, Deep Root Champion. Yeah. They look the Champion's same. Champion's yeah. the one you want. Champion's the, oh, yeah, that's the good stuff. Um, and so you have to, like, we don't have access to multiple copies of Delver. So you have to go into those matchups uh, expecting to deal with a bunch of four fours on the ground instead of three twos in the air. Yeah. And, and again, anytime these tempo decks start uh, shaving cards like this and move back to more cards and like more flyers, more cheaper threats too. Like Gaia's Skyfolk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another great example. Where no, this, what? Where? What, yeah. what is Gaia's Skyfolk? <laughs> So. It's a green-blue for a 2-2 two -two flyer, and it's a merfolk elf. Yeah. What? Great card. Those are some relevant types. Well, wow. Oh, Therese Nielsen art. Oh, yeah. Huh. So I guess this is another example of people, blue-green tempo, uh, known as Sorensen tempo, yeah. and is something that's been around since the beginning of this format. Mm -hmm. And there have been slight variations to it, but nothing that really kind of extends out of the realm of what you're expecting when you sit across from someone on that. Uh, I believe a couple of years ago, maybe even earlier than that, uh, a version of this deck popped up that was playing basically every Gaia's Skyfolk it had access to. Wow. So when people were expecting to just gum up the board and try to fight that way and it's exhaust like, oh. them on resources. 
Gaia Skyfolk, uh, uh -oh. Ice Feather Aven. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, like every you just start getting pecked away by this damage that you can't deal with. Welcome turn. Oh, yeah, welcome turn. It's almost flying, man. Huh. It, it's it's pretty close. Yeah. Two power flyers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeez, I don't want to play this. Now. All right, mm. let's let's sort of end this with a discussion of: Are there any times that you have changed your own list to try and get somebody? Uh, so to, no, to try and get somebody as opposed to just metaing normally. Yeah. yeah. To try and induce people Oof. into playing incorrectly against you. So there, there was a time I did this. I built a red green mid range deck that I affectionately call Orcish Lumberjack Aggro. Uh, <laughs> and and by and large, it looked a lot Hopefully. like red-green aggro, like traditionally would. You played, instead of playing aggressive one-drops, you played elves, and then you, you had all the aggressive three-drops that red-green aggro would play, most of the aggressive fours plus some, and then you also played fives and a couple sixes. Holy so you moly. Mostly, you basically played no two-drops in the deck. Uh, <laughs> And instead of playing Moxes, you played the bigger bigger mana jumps. So you played Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, and Black Lotus I played, but you know <laughs> probably not correct, but you, you gotta you gotta flex something. Soul Ring for the sensible um, people at home. Yeah, my, Soul Ring plus Mox almost certainly better. <laughs> uh, but one in one game I, I particularly remember just getting my opponent because they they weren't expecting the lines of play I had access to. Uh, I went turn one elf, it resolved. Then turn two, they were on the play, so they had two mana up. They were a blue deck. Uh, they were, I could see they were just ready to counter whatever I played, so I played a Corsair of Crufix. They countered it. Then I played Black Lotus, Mana Vault, Thundermont. And, all right. And after they countered my Corsair of Crufix, they started on tapping because they knew, <laughs> they knew the deck. They knew, like, I was unlikely to slow roll moxes. Like, what, what, what was I going to do? Like, gut shot them? So they, they started untapping. I'm like, hang on, I'm not done. And they're like, oh, like, what else could you have? And then I played Black Lotus, cracked it for red mana, played Mana Vault, played Thunderball, Hellkite, and attacked them. <laughs> <laughs> and their their eyes were popping out of their head. Their jaw was on the floor. Well, they were like, what kind of red green aggro deck is this? And I'm like, I never said I was playing red green aggro. <laughs> you you did. Wow. <laughs> And then I played Black Lotus is a really good name for like memoirs. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. I had a I had a weird example, and this probably came uh, off the back of a random conversation I had with Ben Wheeler. But I, we were experimenting with Enchantress mm. for a while here, uh, and I I don't know. I'm going to assume the conversation went something like this: Hey, Serge, I got a great idea on how you should play Enchantress. Cut all the Enchantresses. Put an Oath of Druid and have Emrakul. So when they start coming against you and trying to pressure you before you set up your lock piece, you slam Oath into Emrakul. Holy moly. I don't... Uh, no, there was, I there was one other piece of that. The other <laughs> yeah. piece of that is you also play Eternal Witness oh, yeah. so that you can hit your Replenish mm -hmm. and then bring everything back after you've milled your whole deck off the Oath of Druids. So it was... Uh, Bruh. Yeah. Well, Enchantress is one of these funny matchups, right? Where, like... The deck, aside from Argothian Enchantress just being the best thing available yeah. for that, uh, your other Enchantress effects all just die to shock. <laughs> so, like, three mana zero twos. It's one of these weird instances where you're like a lock piece kind of prisony combo deck, 
that has a ramp, also ramp. It's just a whole mass potato. Yeah. Oh, but then Enchantress is such a mess. Like to get you off the ground if your opponent has shock and you're just like, oh well there goes my game plan. <laughs> Awkward. You done anything spicy like this? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm a pretty conventional Magic player, and All I right. tend to not next level people. The most I think would be putting in a card like Berserk. Just to trying just, to get them. To just blindside people. Oh yeah. To be like, okay, this deck seems pretty aggressive, and then like, you know, what's your life total? Beep beep. <laughs> get them. I mean, it's it's maybe just screwing up math. A little bit, and they're just like, oh, okay, I can withstand I can this many, this, yeah. this many attacks, and it's like, what about twice that many? <laughs> Not so much. Yeah, the uh, I was actually talking to Jer about this uh, earlier this morning, where for a while I was playing a variation of a pod deck, but instead of the four color, you know, grindy kind of combo version that we all expect. Uh, swords or plowshares may or may not be included. Uh, I was playing a, a rug version that was very aggressive, kind of Ooh. a callback to the original pod Sh survival Shout out decks to Brett Frankson. Yeah. Oh, of, of the format. The and so, 30 point pod deck before... <laughs> dark times. Dark yeah. times. Uh, and I had a... I, in one of the, the first matches that I played with the deck, I just kind of had a, a general pod kill. Where I was just like, alright, Deceiver, Exarch, uh, Kiki Jiki, uh, Infinite cleric things kill you like just boring kind of yeah and your opponent's like okay yeah, mom and pop, pop magic you know <laughs> like, and pop magic. yeah just you know good old-fashioned uh, play one thing play another and kill you <laughs> and so richie intended my, my opponent was i i imagine they were on just like oh you're playing pod okay i gotta watch out for being combo killed all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. they don't typically care about elvish visionaries and whatnot and going into the next game i had a very similar start Mana Dork uh, into an end of turn Deceiver Exarch. And yep. after the match and talking to my opponent, they had a disruption available for Splinter Twin or Kiki Jiki. So just like shock, kind of like, sure. I can deal with that part of it. Uh, so if he tries to go for the combo, easy peasy lemon squeezy, just like <laughs> yeah. stop it in its tracks. Uh, but then I untap, play a Gaia's Cradle, slapped a Sword of Feast in front. <laughs> oh no! Smashed. <laughs> Smashed with my Deceiver Exarch, untapped my lands, and deployed like a Thrun. Yeah. So... <laughs> Fooled you! <laughs> kind of setting up, and, and decks like uh, like that get to really take advantage of this. Um, one of the more recent kind of examples is I, would, I, I play eggs a lot. <laughs> it's my pride and joy. Oh, baby. Um, and eggs is very, it's, you're all in on combo, that's it. Perfect, chicken egg. nailed it. Uh, Can you play what, scramble versus eggs? I don't think there, I don't think there's a card called egg in the eggs list, Beach. There's yeah, there five dark cards. Dark water really? egg? They're, oh, we, they're, oh, I'm we sorry. We got dark water egg. We got moss fire egg. We got sun grass egg. We got sky, uh, sky, sky cloud, cloud egg. Yeah. And then we've got... Red, oh, red, black. red, black, red, black. I thought black. the joke was um, eggs. Shadow blood, egg. shadow yeah. blood. Egg. I didn't yeah, think. Right. I didn't think eggs actually. You know what eggs. the deck is oh, named no. after, but right? I, I thought it was named after rocks that you crack like an egg. I yes. didn't think it was oh, literally named no. after eggs. Serge, you got to crack a couple eggs to make a foro. No, not rock egg. <laughs> um, 
So I, eggs is very much a I'm going to kill you combo. That's it. Maybe go off to make some Thopter tokens, but with Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meek, so still on a combo sure. kind of plan. Life um, Spark Spell Bomb is a legitimate win condition, Ben. Oh yeah, Wait, I, I mean you don't have to tell me. I'm that. sorry. What is a Life Spark Spell Bomb? I don't even think I've heard of this uh, card. One, one mana artifact to play. You. Uh, Pay one colorless, sacrifice it, draw a card. You pay a green, sacrifice it. Uh, target land becomes a 3-3 creature. Uh, very handy in turning your own lands into creatures to block their threats. Uh, as well as, I've definitely gotten close to like 20-ing people with Life Spark Spell Bombs. No, and bringing them back like or copying it. No, huh. This is beautiful magic. Yeah. Uh, anyways, going from an all-combo kind of uh, narrative with the deck... To including cards like Monastery Mentor. Pardon? Um, Mo Monastery Mentor. No, no um, I, I, I heard uh, it. You said you played that in should, am I Should I shout it again? Uh, well, I, 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 it's, I've given it, it a shot. It triggers off non creature because spells. Because it's non creature spells, every artifact. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This uh, is the reason it's Wizards not is going from prowess non creature <laughs> to instants and sorceries Holy so it's, it's literally just ben monastery mentor it's just ben well i mean the vintage community has something to do with oh, it I too oh i forgot how good sure. prowess uh, is all your artifacts yeah so two and a white for a 2 2 with prowess when you cast a non creature spell uh, you so put a one one mic. louder. Non non creature, creature spell. So this Holy includes moly. artifacts such as uh, Black Lotus, <laughs> uh, Life Spark Spell Bomb. Any of the eggs, yeah. Uh, Mox Opal, and uh, the deck is quite good at playing many, many, many copies of this. Uh, sometimes infinite copies wow. of these artifacts. So in you one get turn. the boys while you build your. I bring station. all the boys to the yard. <laughs> Uh, and if Monastery Mentor doesn't work, you can play Psy Master Thopterist. Sorry, what? This is uh, a newer card. <sighs> Master Thopterist. It's a 2 and a blue for a 1-4 legendary creature. When you cast an artifact spell, you make a 1-1 one, one Thopter with flying. Yo! And you can pay a 1 and a blue, sack 2 artifacts to draw a card. Yo! So it plays on both game plans. Yeah. Um, I actually thought about putting this in Workshop Winnie. So cards like this that play into the strategy, when people typically just mulligan away all their aggressive cards, or they play... All their removal. Or, yeah, all their removal. Yeah, they want to keep the aggressive uh, They want to keep the aggressive cards, but, I mean, these cards also stunt yep. their aggressive draws. Yeah, one for like, that's that a, booty. That's a big butt. Uh, and, like, having Thopters for days, yep. it's building, you know... Building up a, a board with these cards is very easy and also kind of plays into everything that your opponent is trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do a quick little summary on anything here. Anything else you'd like to add on incorrect assumptions? We've covered oh, how you get got, how to try and get your opponent. The differences between this and sort of not sideboarding, but trying to like make little metagame changes. Jer. So the biggest thing I want to point out that we haven't talked about yet is that if you're trying to introduce these into decks that you play, they basically only work if you're going to be more proactive than your opponent and mm. they have to react to you. It's very difficult to do it when you're the reactive deck. It You can do it, but it's much more difficult and typically less effective. Yeah, it's excellent. Gentlemen? Use sleeves that don't represent what your deck actually is. <laughs> I'm only half joking. <laughs> That's so funny. The plain sleeves, you're like, mountain go. And they're like, oh, right. 
Yeah, I show up in mono blue sleeves, slam the tattoos, throw down the brainstorm playmat, and go mountain goblin gun. Um, <laughs> They're like, oh no! Lava spike you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to say just don't beat yourself up if you get got. Yeah. Because, like, it's, you can't, Highlander, you have a card pool of, like, 14,000 cards. Yeah. So, if you end up getting blown out by something that you haven't yeah. seen for years... Uh, write it down. Yeah. Well, also, there's no sideboard. Notes. There's no sideboard, so people are going to have weirdo inclusions in their in their list mm -hmm. just to try and beat a meta game that you might not be part of the conversation of. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and you just gain more experience every time you get got, and then you're less likely to get got like that again. Mm -hmm. Unless you get got because of your experience. Oh. Well, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Next level. All right, everybody. Uh, that's going to be our episode for today. Let us move to our closing segment, Powerful Magic. Ba, 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 boy. Thank you. Uh, okay. And up today, we got Ben. So this one was from 2018, so it's recent. Uh, I was playing that's a... This year. It is? I have zero concept of time. <laughs> Um, I, may be, I may be a time traveler. All right. um, so I'm playing a World Gorger Dragon oh, combo baby. deck. Uh -huh. uh, Real quick, how does that combo work for the people that might not be familiar? Well, Serge, I'm glad you asked. Oh, uh, World boy. Gorger Dragon is a 6-mana 7-7 seven, seven with Flying and Trample. But you usually ignore all that part. Uh, it says, when it enters the battlefield, you exile all other permanents you control. That seems bad. But when it leaves the battlefield, you return everything that's been exiled back into play. Now I'm real confused. So this includes lands, yep. uh, enchantments, well, artifacts, auras. auras. All right. Um, and the big ones are, I'm trying to think of the one that has the least wordy wording. I believe animate dead. No, this no, is just that a one's a nightmare. This is a losing battle, <laughs> no matter what we do. Uh, I actually think dance of the dead is the best one. Dance of the dead. Let's go with dance of the dead. So the combination. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, this, this is, is a this, small this is the problem. Oh, oh my eyes! <laughs> Would you like me to read it? Uh, no. Yes, uh, yes, I actually can't read that. Okay, it's an enchantment aura for one and a black. It's enchant creature card in a graveyard. When Dance of the Dead enters the battlefield, if it's on the battlefield, it loses, quote, enchant creature card in a graveyard, end quote, and gains, quote, enchant creature put onto the battlefield with Dance of the Dead, end quote. Put enchanted creature card onto the battlefield, tapped under your control, and attach dance, attach dance of the dead to it. When Dance of the Dead leaves the battlefield, that creature's controller sacrifices it. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. At the beginning of upkeep of Enchanted Creature's controller, that player may pay one and a black. If the player does, untap that creature. So extremely straightforward. That's right, the thank Oracle you, text. Sorry, could you read that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, to make this easy, it, it the brings deck, a creature from your graveyard yes, to play. The deck plays a series of enchantments that when they ETB, they bring a creature from the graveyard to play. And, it's and notably, when they leave, they don't exile that creature. Right. Yeah. The creature just goes back to the graveyard. And it's important that they're permanents and mm -hmm. not spells yes. like reanimate. Yes. So you play this. It brings back a World Gorger Dragon, which you've discarded or put into your graveyard. Yeah. The dragon triggers... Getting rid of Dance of the Dead. Okay. Which causes the dragon to go away. When the dragon goes away, the Dance of the Dead comes back. Yeah. <laughs> which causes the dragon to come back. Which causes, and which notably, causes it to go away. Your lands are also 
leaving and coming yeah. back each time. During this entire... And most of the time, they enter untapped. Yeah, you're, so you're adding mana every single loop, infinite mana. Or uh, if you happen to have be lucky enough and have a bizarre in play. Which, oh yeah, goodness. if you have a bizarre Baghdad, that tends to work out uh, quite well. Or Nephalia Drown Yard. This is, for all those of you asking me about Nephalia Drown Yard decks, this, this is, is the only yeah. one. Drown Interesting. Yeah, Drown Yard has that. put up Highlander victories. It's you just, just only in each this. time. If you have three lands plus Drown Yard every time it ETBs, you, don't you build them for three? You need, you need eight <clears throat> Watery Grave plus Drown Yard. And so and the, the traditional oh, right, kill, right, right, right. the traditional kill is either you Drown Yard them out, um, you... Play Una, Queen of the Fae, which you effectively are mill fireball, them out. Mill fireball them. Yeah. Oh, because you get infinite mana, and then you and then you activate it for X. X is equal to the number. Is there of, a yeah. reason you don't just fireball, fireball? Them? Uh, well, this one is, you might not be playing red. This one is uh, the creatures are key because if you're milling your deck, or if you've already put this into your graveyard somehow, on the last time that animate dead or Dance of the Dead comes back, oh. you can bring this. Yeah. Because if you have no other legal targets, you will draw that game, which <laughs> yeah. I have done. <laughs> well, it's it's actually strategic sometimes. If you're mm -hmm. losing, or you're like about to lose, and there's no other creatures in the graveyard, you can just like start the combo with no way to end the loop. Wow. Just Sorry. The game. Makes me feel like a real yeah. jerk when I've done it, but... Uh, Alright, so I'm derailed here. Let's get Ben back right. on anyways, anyways. Story. Sorry, yeah. So, you, you kill through these combo means, right? Yeah. Uh, the deck also plays a lot of one mana, or sorry, two mana creatures that have some kind of looting effect okay. or ETB effect to draw. So I'm just going to throw out uh, Merfolk Traders as an example. Not looter, bold. Well, looter, looter needs to tap in order to get the loot, ah, but the Traders ETB. is an ETB. I understand. Yeah, so while call. you're yeah, looping yeah, yeah, with yeah, World yeah. Gorger. So I, I played a couple, I'm in, I'm in a matchup against a control opponent. They're not killing me. I'm barely killing them. I'm just, I have like a Merfolk Traders in play, and I'm just turning it sideways. Nice. It's done about five damage, which is all right. That's respectable. And my opponent doesn't really feel as though their life total is much of a, like, they get to use it as a resource, because I'm not killing them with this Merfolk Traders. Surely they're not going to die to cards like Merfolk Traders. Um, and so they're thought seizing, dealing damage to themselves, playing shocklands, cracking fetches, and they get to about 12 or so. Now my deck plays uh, the, pretty much every reanimation spell uh, that is under four mana. And I have a lotus petal in play oh, because I... speed is key. Okay. And I have <laughs> maybe 10, 12, 13 lands at this point. Like this is being a slugfest. We've got nothing really in our hands. Uh, and then I go to draw for my turn, and I look at my Lotus Petal, and I look at the card I've drawn, and then I turn it sideways because that card is Life Death. Oh! <laughs> now Life Death, you play it for the death side of this split card, uh, which is a two mana version of Reanimate. You just bring a creature back from the graveyard and you lose life equal to its uh, converted mana cost. But the life part is a one green sorcery. All lands you control become 1-1 one, one creatures until end of turn. They are still lands. I've considered playing this in Aristocrats. I've, I've never made it, like, because you cast it and then you just, like, blow up all your lands and kill them. Well, it's probably not that great. It's but... funny you mentioned uh, turning all your lands into things to kill them. Uh-huh. Uh, because I did just that. <laughs> I cracked my Lotus Petal. I cast life. 
my opponent contemplated their own life and everything <laughs> that had led up to this moment. And then I turned everything sideways and smashed them for about 15. Holy moly. Felt good. That's fantastic. What a, what a win con in the reanimate deck. All right. Well, everybody, well, friends, that is going to be our episode for the day. A reminder, if you're looking for the link, we'll make sure to include that in the description down below. Uh, anyways, thanks for watching. A reminder, this podcast is brought to you by you with your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash Run. From us to you, thanks for watching. You're wonderful, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>